0: It's Dr. Paul Donovan here, and this podcast is titled, Bosses Behaving Badly. And that's right, this podcast is going to specifically look at what it is that bosses do when they behave badly, uh, what it looks like, how it appears behaviorally, but we'll also look at why it happens, how come bosses behaving badly is so extraordinarily prevalent, and then finally, we'll look at what to do about it. Now, I'm speaking to you now as if you were in both chairs. So in, if you're listening now, then there's a reasonable chance that in some context, you might be the boss. In fact, if only, if, if only it relates to even getting home at night when you've got small children, you may well be the boss there if, nothing, if nowhere else. But in fact, many of us are bosses elsewhere as well. And some of you listening are actually bosses of large numbers of people. And so this information is going to be very valuable no matter what angle you're looking at it, because it can give us insight into this poor behavior, which has far-reaching implications, and uh, and then, of course, some steps on how to actually prevent bosses behaving badly. So to start with, I'd like to tell you a little story. I was working with this particular client. They were a technology company providing certain applications on a platform into the world of logistics, and uh, they were a small, medium—they were a medium-sized company, I think around 500 in size. And um, they were successful, and they—they—they they were owned by a parent company, actually, in the. Europe, and it was from that parent company that they received most of their product. This organization here in Australia was busy bringing that application into organizations who provide logistic solutions. So that's the context. I was working then with the executive team, and I had the opportunity to sit and watch and listen and provide some feedback to their executive team meetings. Those meetings happened once a month and were, excuse me, around five hours in duration each time. So look, hey, the meetings were relatively unremarkable. In fact, if I described them in any way, I suspect they were relatively flat. I did give some feedback. I assisted them to become uh, more interrogative within their meetings, but there was clearly a challenge around this kind of robust conversation happening within those meetings. Meanwhile, I was sitting with a number of the individuals within that team in between the meetings, and that's where a different kind of picture emerged, because it turned out that actually the general manager of the organization, who behaved beautifully actually within the meeting itself, behaved not so well in between the meetings, And so he had a habit of um, getting upset, raising his voice, um, giving orders in a very abrupt manner, and in fact, sometimes even described as having mini tantrums. So that's what was going on in between the meetings. In fact, once when I arrived there, uh, I came in at the end of one of those meetings, and I could see that the general manager was red in the face and was gesticulating very uh, strongly and was visibly upset. So all of this was happening, but as it turns out, it was having an impact on the meetings, which were relatively flat. And so, um, and of course, as the time when I I began to understand that there was in fact a lack of psychological safety within within that room, And within the executive team, which meant that their conversations didn't have the usual robustness and vitality that you might expect from an executive team. So it was a real dilemma. And in fact, what happened, uh, interestingly, was uh, one of the bosses from Europe uh, popped in and um, to Australia, it was a planned meeting. But what did happen, which was unplanned, is he had some meetings with one or two of the executive team members without the general manager there. Well, as you might expect, a few things started to come out because that particular European boss was an excellent listener. So that European boss, um, she started to get the picture that the behavior of the general manager, well, wasn't all that easy. So she then turned to the general manager in a subsequent meeting and said, look, I've got this feedback. Well, I want to tell you that the end of this story is a happy ending because that general manager really did use that crisis, and it was a crisis for him, to begin to behave quite differently with his team. But I have seen cases where quite the opposite has happened. And in fact, general managers have left abruptly. Now, all of this happens because bosses can behave badly and they can continue doing this for some time and barely be aware of it. I don't know whether you knew this, but bosses behaving badly, most of the time bosses are barely aware of the bad behavior that they're engaging in and they need feedback, a bit like this boss got because his European um, boss, the one who gave him the feedback, was brave enough to sit with him and have the difficult conversation. So it turned out very well. So this is the kind of scenario which works well, but can that worked well in that case can but can and badly. So first of all, let's move to this. What does behaving badly look like for bosses? Well, you know, I could probably give you my own list, but I want to let you know that some fantastic research was done by two people, Pearson and Porath, in a wonderful book published just a few years ago called The Cost of Bad Behaviour. And there they make a rather interesting list of what people do when they act in an uncivil manner. For instance, here's a few examples of the things that they do. Um, They fail to return phone calls or respond to emails. They might shut someone out of a network, exclude them from certain meetings. They might send bad uh, news through emails so that they don't have to talk about it. Um, They might check their emails or phone in meetings and do that routinely. Um, Show up late for meetings or leave early without explanation, um, show little attention to others' opinions, or even get irritated when someone asks for a favour. Gosh, the list is long, and frankly, I could keep going. What was most interesting, though, to me about this research is, guess what? Where, in what direction was this uncivil behaviour happening? Well, the vast majority of it was happening from people who were more senior, and the behaviour was directed to those who were less senior, In other words, this was the behavior of bosses, three times more likely to be happening from people who are more senior um, acting downwards. This is uncivil behavior. And in fact, those authors go on to explain that they believe it was at that time costing the US economy no less than $300 billion in stress leave. This is what makes workplaces really stressful to be in, is uncivil behavior. And a good deal of it is done by senior people towards those who are, un, who, are, who are less senior. In fact, interestingly, twice as often will be from men toward women than women toward men. And also more often from people who are a little older towards those people who are less older. In whatever case you look at, it, it's people who, are ta- who have rank. So this is uncivil behavior and a good deal of it is bosses. So why are they doing it? Well, here's where we're going to bring some other research to bear because it turns out that it's got nothing much to do with psychology of personality. It's relatively independent of that. It's not even that really dependent upon context. If this is the boss, this is the boss. They'll do it wherever they go. Do you know what it causes it? It's the role It's the role of being a boss, because the being having power is not just a structural thing where those with power have more control over desired resources, and that's often how power is defined in the literature. Power is also a state. Power is also a state of feeling expectant, optimistic, um, uh, confident, exuberant. These are powerful states so that power is both a state and a structural um, asymmetry uh, over, of, of control over resources. So why do bosses do this when they get into positions of power? Well, here comes some really interesting research on, on how this works. Now, first of all, I want to let you know that when people experience power, several neurobiological things happen to them. And I'd like to give you some really interesting research to explain this. Now, first of all, this is here's one really classic little bit of research has been reported around the place. You have two groups of people, one group of people are shown images and talked to about the very rich and famous, the highly privileged, uh, the jet setting crowd. The other group is shown images and talked to about the very poor and the marginalised, the underprivileged within our community and within our society. Okay, we got that. Two different groups. Each group shown quite different images and, and uh, encouraged to think about society and in, in, and those parts of society in different ways. So the group, both groups, then are then shown a twelve step ladder on a diagram actually, not a real ladder, a diagram of a 12-step ladder. And they're asked to do this simple thing, score where you are on the ladder of life. So you probably can guess what happened now, but the people who were shown the the images and uh, were asked to think about the jet-setting hyper-privileged, super-wealthy people scored themselves relatively low on that ladder. Because they were just engaging in a natural sense of comparison. They didn't think they scored as high. But those people who were shown really high level, shown the really uh, underprivileged people, well, they scored themselves higher. Okay, so none of that's terribly surprising so far. But here's the real clincher. To each of those groups, they then did standard tests of empathy. So they showed them each photographs, which are used in normal um, tests of empathy, of people's eyes, and then they have to choose from one of four options which emotion was being expressed in those eyes. So here's the kicker. The people who put themselves higher on the ladder, that is they felt more powerful, were significantly less able to accurately read emotions in others their capacity for empathy dropped. They were simply less able to read the emotions of others if they felt powerful. So it's not, and it's not the only thing that happens to us when we experience this sense of power. Also, we become very much more, it's very much more difficult for us to get into the shoes of another. And this has been tested in all sorts of ways, to take the other's perspective. One really interesting um, experiment done to show this is they, of course, uh, have two different groups and one group is feeling powerful and the other group not so powerful. Then they ask both groups, can you write an E on your forehead so that a, a person who is looking at you can read the letter E properly and easily? Guess what? Those who felt more powerful were three times less likely to be able to write an E on their forehead in the way that it was required for somebody standing opposite them to read that E. Those who felt less powerful were far more likely to be able to take the perspective of the person opposite them and write an E on their forehead that was easily legible and readable. So it wasn't upside down or back to front for them. So, oh, hey, there's so many experiments. All I want to tell you is that, guess what? When we have feelings of power, something neurobiologically happens to us and we become less able to bring our attention to others in skillful manners, in a skillful way. We lose the very skills that have tended to enable us to draw power to us because we've been helpful to others, we've read what others have needed and we've given them, helped them along the way. Uh, these are the things which tend to draw power to you. But once we get powerful, our ability to sustain those others-orientated skills drops away. So if you're looking at your boss thinking, why is he such a jerk? I want to let you know that that may be the voice of naivety. Because if you are also a boss, then there's a good chance those are underneath you are looking at you saying the same thing. It is very challenging for when we have power to keep our others focused. It's not impossible. But boy, oh boy, the impacts and the effect of power on us is so pervasive and so insidious. It's so difficult to be aware of. We begin to behave badly. So here's the extra bit I want to give you about behaving badly. Those bosses who already have feelings of inadequacy or who have doubts about their capability, they're the ones that can become especially poorly behaving. So they start to behave in ways that help them feel a little bit powerful. They might start ordering people around or blasting off emails to people or becoming rather more aloof and critical, as an example, or, or maybe just distancing themselves from difficult conversations and therefore anesthetizing themselves to all those awkward feelings. Whatever it is, bosses who already feel inadequate are going to engage in strategies that help them feel better and anesthetize themselves to their niggling, nagging sense of anxiety about their adequacy. So, in other words, And then, of course, when they start feeling good or at least lessening their nagging sense of anxiety and powerlessness, they engage all over in the same behaviors that those who are feeling powerful in the first place. They become less empathic, they're more likely to engage in behavior that is uncivil and they'll have trouble taking others' perspectives. Oh, and there's more effects, more, more impacts on having behaved that I won't go through now, but there's a lot, and there's a big reason why we tend to f- behave badly when we're in power. Feeling powerful brings risks. And if you're a boss who's feeling inadequate, then you might be especially vulnerable to trying to make yourself feel better um, by f- uh, and f- and as a result of feeling better and more powerful, you'll do things that are basically uncivil. Wow, so what do we do about it? What do we do about it? How do we actually um, manage this very difficult dilemma? Okay, so there's one, there's a couple of ways I really want to share with you. First and foremost, it's going to be really important that as you in elevate in seniority in whatever role you're in that you must build your sense of personal power if you do not build your sense of personal power then you'll be asleep to how badly you're at behaving you'll be a victim to the neurobiological impact on you of having power you'll start to behave badly And then because you are the boss, it's going to be very difficult for others to give you feedback. Very difficult indeed. Why is it so hard? Do I need to explain that? It's very difficult to give bosses feedback. Why? Because bosses can make all sorts of decisions which affect us. They might need to approve our holiday. They might might have some say on our bonus. They might even have a say on whether they recommend us for another job. Their performance appraisal could have impact on our pay rise. I mean, gosh, there's a whole lot of reason why giving feedback to bosses can, be, can feel rather threatening and difficult. So bosses are not swimming in a sea of feedback. I want to let you know that. They're often rather feedback poor. It's, um, it, it's not just lonely at the top. It's quiet too. And uh, you know that was a beautiful quote uh, from a book I love about power from Julie Diamond called "Power's a User's Guide." I love the way she says that it's not just lonely at the top; it's quiet as well. Uh, they people at the top lack feedback. So, so here we go. How do we manage this? How do we manage this? Now I'm going to return back to this issue of personal power. Bosses need to deepen their sense of personal power. So how will you do this? Here's here's what you'll do. First of all, bosses need to think carefully about why they're in that role and deepen their work and deepen the connection of their role to a deep why within themselves. They must have a bigger reason. They must have a bigger purpose than just to get this project done or just to get this piece of work out the door. They need to be relieved from the intensity and urgency of the everyday and must create a bigger purpose. When bosses do this, they develop their sense of personal power. They are drawing from energy that is not given to them just by their rank. They begin to draw energy because they're accessing um, a well of energy that comes from knowing our why. So if you're going to be a boss, you must think deeply about why you're doing this job and what legacy you want to leave. If you do not think about that, then you're going to be probably held captive by the effects of having power and you will be behaving badly, and you probably don't even know it. Okay, so that's the first thing. In relation to personal power, I also want to say this, get to know your triggers. Understand which situations and which people tend to cause you to feel more threatened or more anxious. As a boss, it's very important to know this. There's been now quite a lot of academic research looking at the fact that when bosses feel threatened, they behave aggressively. People who are not bosses, people who don't feel quite as powerful, actually don't, behave, don't react as aggressively. Bosses do. So in what in the context in which you're the boss, there's a good chance that if you feel your competence is being challenged, you'll, rea- you'll react somewhat aggressively. So I want to now... In- implore you to get to know your triggers. What kinds of things happen which tend to rock you or unsettle you? Get to know these triggers. Get to understand what it is that's happening inside you when these triggers emerge so you know the story you're telling yourself. You're telling yourself a story about your lack of legitimacy in the role you have, and in reaction to that story, you may begin to react Uh, aggressively or passively aggressively to others. So please get to know your triggers because as you understand those triggers, those scenarios will have less power over you. So so let's retrap. firstly, if you want to behave better as a boss, build your personal power. The two ways I'm going to implore you to do that is get to know your deeper whys and the legacy you want to leave in this role. And secondly, get to know your triggers so that they become less effective at recruiting unwanted and uncivil behavior in you. Okay, final piece of advice. Are you ready? If you want to be a boss that is less likely to behave badly, then orchestrate forums for feedback. Make it easy for people to give you feedback, then thank those people for giving you feedback. So you can give them opportunities to give you anonymous feedback. Look for ways and create forums where people can write what it's like for them to deal with you in response to your questions. There's heaps of different ways to do this, heaps and heaps of different ways of doing this. I recommend the Diamond Power Index. It's one of the only tools I know that's completely devoted to giving feedback to people on how they're using their power. And it's a remarkable tool. So that is one way. But, you know, you don't even need that necessarily. You can decide whether there's a certain way in which you, a certain thing that you do that you suspect is problematic and get feedback from your team or immediate group of six to eight people, make it anonymous and ask them how you're going in that area and ask them to score you from one to five and ask for comments. And then do that every, do that eight weeks later and see whether you can improve. Create a feedback-rich environment. Don't don't just say, but my door is open, I have an open-door policy. That is completely insufficient. And if you're one of those bosses wandering around saying, my door is always open, well, I want to tell you it's not okay. It's not good enough, and there's way too many structural impediments for people to give feedback to bosses. It can work sometimes. But there'll be a whole lot of feedback you will not be getting. So you'll need to take action to institutionalize and make very, very plain the opportunities people have to give you feedback and that they can do it in an anonymous way, in an anonymous way. If you want to do it, give and ultimately, of course, people may be able to give it to you face to face, but please do not think that they can in the first place because there's a good chance they won't. All right, I think we're getting near the end. This is bosses behaving badly. Bosses behaving badly. Remember, I've started with describing what does it look like with bosses behaving badly. And there's a whole list of uncivil behaviors that bosses do that they are barely aware of. These are just small behaviors that happen every day but have a massive cost on the teams that they lead and on those around them, especially those that are less senior. Massive cost on them. It's stressful dealing with bosses who behave in uncivil manners, in an uncivil manner. The second thing I've talked about is why it happens. And something rather magical happens to us when we're in positions of power. We become rather more self-focused, less focused on others, and we actually find it more difficult to be empathic, to take the perspective of others and to act in ways that are civil So unless you deliberately bring your attention to this, you will probably be falling prey to this effect on you as a boss, and you may not even know it. So what are you going to do about it? Two things. First of all, build your personal power, deeply understand the why of what you're doing, and look to consider what legacy you're leaving. Now, within that heading of personal power, also, you must understand your triggers, Get to know them so that they have less control over you. Finally, create forums for feedback and make it safe to do that. Then importantly, thank everyone who gives you feedback, no matter how uncomfortable it is for you to hear it. All right, that's our podcast um, on leaders behaving badly. I so hope you found it helpful. I've loved speaking to you. Please stay tuned for our other podcasts. Um, because I'll be interviewing and uh, I' uh, interviewing lots of interesting people. They all won't be from me, um, but some of them will be. Thanks guys. So so thankful that you've um, enjoyed this and please I'd be open to your comments.